Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of the Chat with Traders podcast. You are listening to episode number 72. Now, this week's guest preferred to remain somewhat anonymous. Although his name is Rob, others know him as RG, and he's a part of Discovery Trading Group. Rob is an active futures trader and is what most people would call a pure scalper, but he refers to himself as a street-level gambler with an appetite for risk. Either way, he is a very short-term trader and often just trading for a couple ticks at a time. So that's one side of what he does. The other side, Rob is also involved in a quantitative research firm which trades a whole range of strategies over various timeframes in many different markets too. Over the next 60 minutes, you'll hear about Rob's early years of trading during the 80s and how he's developed into the trader he is today. Rob also really drives home the importance of risk management, shares a few gambling analogies, and talks about the benefit of interacting with other traders on a regular basis. So speaking of which, I've opened up a Facebook group for Chat With Traders and it's totally free to join. So if you'd like to connect with other traders and listeners of this podcast, I'd encourage you to get amongst it. If you go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash Facebook, that'll redirect you to the actual group. So just hit the join button and I'll let you in. Again, if you missed that, that's chatwithtraders.com forward slash Facebook to join the free Facebook group. Um, also another really exciting announcement is I've just released another ebook, which is also free and it's titled the comprehensive guide to trading mentorship. Now I often hear the question, how do I get a mentor? So I took everything I know about the subject and packaged it up into an ebook. It'll probably take you about 10 to 15 minutes to read. And I think it'll be really helpful to those of you who are seeking out a mentor And when I say a mentor, I just want to be clear on this. I'm not talking about coaching or education, um, you know, education providers. I'm talking about genuine mentoring. So to get a free copy of this, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash mentor. And again, in case you missed that, that's chatwithtraders.com 
forward slash mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R. Now, just before we jump to the interview, I will point out some of what you hear uh, from Rob may contradict what you've heard in the past. So I just want to emphasize that it's really important that you you do make your own mind up for what you believe to be true about markets and, of course, trading. Anyway, here we go. I'm Aaron Firefield, and here is my guest for episode 72, Rob from Discovery Trading Group. Rob, what's going on, man? How was your weekend? Hey, Aaron. Real good. How about you? Excellent. Really good. It was a, it was a nice long weekend here, so a um, bit of a break, which was nice. Good. So thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with us, Rob. I know you run a tight schedule, but I'm glad you could fit this in. Um, now, I'd like to give listeners just a little context. So we originally spoke a few months back. We were introduced by um, well, a guy who listens to the podcast who works in a prop firm in, I think it's Sydney, um, who is a very good friend of yours. Following that, we had a really interesting conversation. One of the things you continually emphasized throughout it was the importance of risk management and how to think about risk. Um, a lot of people say risk management is important, but something I often question, and I presume many listening also question, is what does that actually mean? So we're going to tackle that and we're going to get your pro perspective on the subject of risk among many other things. But let's start at the start with your intro to trading. So Rob, tell us a little bit about where did your interest in financial markets come from and where did you initially start out? Boy, I'm not the youngest guy in the world, so <laughs> it goes back uh, a long ways. Uh, I, I, guess, I, I guess I first got interested in markets um, you know, in a general sense, at least when I was an undergrad in college. Um, I don't really remember the exact lineage of what happened, but I think there were two things that that stand out to me. Uh, one is that uh, I had I had a roommate who who had a brother, uh, an older brother, who had a seat on the NYMEX and traded crude oil. So I was really um, sort of fascinated hearing stories from him about uh, sort of the secret world of the pits, and you know, trading was very different in the '80s, you know, than it is today, as you know. And the other thing was, for some reason or other, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I started to get information or become interested in, in what some of the, obviously it was, you know, directed from uh, from my, you know, original exposure uh, to uh, my roommate's brother, but uh, to what uh, some of uh, what came to be known as the long-term trend followers were doing in Chicago, specifically uh, Bill Dunn uh, comes to mind, uh, certainly uh, Rich Dennis and Bill Eckhart. Um, oh God, who else? Larry Height, of course, on the New York side. But guys basically trading uh, all of the commodity markets uh, simultaneously, long, short, uh, in, in longer uh, periodicities. And, and I didn't know exactly uh, what they, how they did what they were doing, but uh, I, I had my own ideas. Um, that I think stemmed from my own interest in uh, in games and and game theory, uh, specifically gambling and card playing, and um, so I think early on I started to to uh, develop some of the hypotheses about um, markets and and what makes them tick, and and more specifically what doesn't make them tick that we use today. So that's really the the genesis of it all, and um, of course the markets have changed. Uh, drastically since then in many ways, but in many ways, they're exactly the same. 
Okay. So you came into this business inspired by some of the legendary trend followers that were around at the time. Although from what I understand, you were never actually a trend follower yourself. Uh, why was that? You know, I I think early on, I, I, I don't really like the term trend following. Um, and I have a really specific reason for it. I think people throw around terms like, well, this is you know, the market's mean reverting or, or this market's trending or this market has momentum. And what always seems to be left out of the discussion is uh, periodicity. So uh, I believe that, that you can't define even what a trend is unless you define for how long or, or a mean reversion of event or anything else. So um, uh, I guess in a classic sense, I don't really believe in uh, what was definitely the foundation of some of the early trend followers, which was that if a market is rising, uh, for example, it's evidence that it's going to keep rising. Um, I think that um, it's easy to uh, inadvertently curve fit. Uh, in fact, I was just talking about this the other day with, with one of my partners, uh, and we were talking about um, some of the early days in trend following. And it just so happened that in the context of the periodicity that they were trading and in the mix of markets that they were trading, uh, specifically in the grains and, and the softs and, and uh, you know, the hard commodity markets as opposed to uh, uh, the financials, um, uh, in that classical sense of the word, those markets were incredibly trendy. It just so happenstance uh, during, during the time um, that they really got a foothold. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that their original thesis for developing those programs was correct. Uh, sort of stacking risk is what I'm talking about. Where uh, you know whatever whatever the market is doing, well, keep adding to it because it's going to keep doing that. Uh, it doesn't mean that at all. But certainly, uh, if it works out that way, that's nice. Okay. So one of the things I'd like to ask you is that when you came into the industry. Um, from what I gather, you you really avoided some of the retail traps and a lot of the um, the pitfalls that retail traders um, experience because you were predominantly on the professional side of the fence. So, I mean, was that a conscious decision or how did that sort of come about? I mean, I know the whole environment and the um, industry was really a lot different when you came into the field. So, maybe if you could just shine a little light on that. Yeah, Um Markets were very different in the sense um, the flow of communication and and how they operated uh, in that latent space, uh, so to speak. Um, I, you know, I, I guess the best way to answer it was that you know I think when I think about the '80s uh, and and what it took to be a successful trader back then, or what was really going on. Um, it, it really was kind of a secret world that you sort of had to have a way in. But by and large, if you got into that door and you looked at what everybody was doing, trading was really about watching what size was doing. You know, the brokers that had the biggest decks of business or the, the largest locals in the pit, everybody wanted to know what, what the guy that was going to push the most size into the market was going to do because he had the ability to, to move that market in, in a very specific way. So, you know, when you think back to those days or, or just to the pits in general, you think about the information that the majority of traders were working on was just what you would see on the big board of, of any exchange today. 
Uh, although obviously we all know the pits are going away, but you know, today's high, today's low, yesterday's high, yesterday's low, contract high, contract low, uh, the opening range, the volume, and the last seven trades, um, prices, you know, for the last seven trades. Uh, and that was how you determined what direction the market was going in, for example, uh, or how the market was trading relative to the opening range. Um, and the rest was really just trying to ascertain who was doing what, who was stuck, who wasn't stuck, you know, who was really motivated to lift offers or whatever. And it was just that kind of information trail and it was done over the phone. Um, so, you know, things, things sort of progress, you know, we got into the nineties and, and, and uh, you know, up to December, 2000, you know, the tech boom. And again, it was more about information. Um, uh, of a different kind, but, uh, so, you know, markets have really evolved. Uh, and, uh, so I think people that were originally exposed to markets during those times, um, avoided what I would call, or at least in our experience, what we see now as the typical retail trap, you know, is really born out of all the software packages and the ease of electronic trading and indicators, uh, and, uh, everything sort of coming down to this pinhead where most traders think of a, a trading strategy or, or what they should be looking for or, or where they're going to find that success as how do I enter the market, you know, only and exclusively. Uh, how do I uh, read these various metrics or whatever that I'm looking at um, to try to find the one best place to enter that's going to ensure that I win most of the time. And, and I think that uh, that's the treadmill, uh, as we call it, that, that most retail traders get on from the very beginning. And, uh, and the vast majority of them, you know, well into the 90 uh, percent range, are unable to escape it. They never escape it. They keep doing something that uh, another friend of mine calls method hunting, where, you know, they find something that that makes sense to them. And they, they pour over tons of chart history and they, they say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to enter the market. And they avoid, you know, all this stuff that really matters, which is, you know, certainly the risk overlays and, you know, how they, how they bet and, and what their size is and how they're going to adapt to volatility over time, you know, all those kinds of things. And they're just focused on the entry. And when it stops working, it's sort of back to the drawing board. So to answer your question, uh, I think, it was pretty easy for people who were exposed early on before any of that stuff existed to avoid it. Uh, I certainly didn't avoid it. I just wasn't exposed to it until later. And thankfully, uh, I had the previous experience to spot it as an issue <laughs> really quick and, uh, and, and, and nip it in the bud before I, I went too far, you know, down and in, into the rabbit hole looking for Alice. So, uh, uh, I was fortunate really only because of my age and, and, uh, and when I first, you know, came, became exposed to this stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. That's a really interesting answer, Rob. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you on the podcast is, um, you know, this is one of the things you'd discussed in our, in our prior conversation. Um, so we're going to dig into this a lot more, uh, in just a bit, but I think this is probably a good point to ask you about, um, you know, you, you mentioned that you didn't avoid it completely. You just experienced it later on. So what you're referring to there, I think, is when you actually attempted to hire a programmer and automate 
um, one of your strategies that you were trading. Uh, can you tell us about how that worked out for you? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I was uh, trading a momentum scalping strategy for a small hedge fund uh, in the mid-2000s. Uh, it's actually a commodity pool structure. Um, and uh, we had the idea that that we wanted to, to scale it up and, and uh, get rid of some of what we call the key man risk, meaning I'm the key man and it's me with my finger uh, as a discretionary trader. Uh, and if you're uh, just the semantics of trading with a mouse and being one guy doing it, uh, you have a limitation to how much size you can trade. And, and we were interested in, uh, in, in scaling up this particular product. Um, so we had the, uh, what we thought was a bright idea at the time, uh, of seeing if we could, uh, replicate what I was doing via automation, um, to other markets, uh, and, uh, and even, uh, other sort of adjacent strategies. Um, we, uh, you're right. We, we hired a programmer and, uh, a very interesting thing happened. What I had done was I had, uh, at least thought what I thought I had done is, disti- is distilled uh, the components of my strategy into something that could be um, seen with various indicators um, that would sort of capture the essence of what I was doing. And uh, I was pretty convinced that it was, that it was quite mechanical what, what I was doing. Um, uh, really convinced. I mean, enough, enough to go down this uh, rabbit hole and uh, what happened was we, we hired this really, really gifted programmer who uh, has the, the added benefit of actually being a trader and being a successful trader, which is rare uh, amongst quants and uh, at least good ones anyway. Um, and uh, he coded my stuff and he, he kept coming back to me saying it doesn't make money. And I would just, it, I would just go crazy. I, I, I was arguing with them, <laughs> saying, "What are you talking about? You know, here's the results, here's the trades. I've been doing this." And uh, he just, I don't know what to tell you. And at first, I thought it was him. Was he making mistakes? And I just, I just wanted to know everything about what was going on to try to find out why it wasn't making money. And what I found out was what I thought was purely mechanical. Uh, really wasn't mechanical, uh, as, as stupid as I, as I felt at the time. But, um, I found out that, that these little adjustments that I was making, you know, certain, you know, as a scalper, of course, to, uh, how I adapted to volatility in certain situations, uh, certain trades that I would pass on, uh, rather than take them all, um, uh, you know, the risk overlays, maybe slight adjustments in size and, and things like that had a drastic influence on uh, results and certainly discretion was, you know, at the forefront of all of it. So it was a real eye opener, uh, to me for sure. Um, and that, that I guess is what I would quantify or qualify rather as a period where, um, I had gone down that rabbit hole of, of trying to see the market as a chart. Um, and, um, you know, we just, it, it became a very long project. So, okay, well, if this doesn't work, well, then how about this? Well, if I'm doing this wrong, well, how about if we do this or we do that? And the next thing you know, you come out of the ether and you've spent, you know, way longer on the project than you thought you were going to spend. So um, uh, that at least 
made me smarten up and, and realize uh, what the problems actually were so that we could fix them. But uh, that was a big, a big moment in me, or at least in, in my history of, of forming what are my opinions today about uh, the best way to be a, what we call a single market intraday uh, trader. And that's to trade with discretion because all that stuff really matters. When you get into longer periodicities and, and, uh, uh, blending strategies uh, to, so you could benefit from strategy based non correlation and periodicity based non correlation. Um, it becomes easier and easier to be purely quantitative or, or even non predictive, in, as in the case of, of many of our other strategies. Um, uh, so uh, that's that's really a big a big uh, a big takeaway from that period of my life for sure. Okay, so would you put it down to the reason why that attempt to automate your strategy failed was uh, due to the nature of that particular strategy, or was there something else to it? No, it had nothing to do with it. I mean, it could it could have been anything. In fact, you know, over the years, uh, we've we've coded thousands, literally thousands of similar strategies. It's just, it's gibberish. I mean, it's just squiggly lines on the page. Um, in any strategy, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a short-term quantitative strategy or, or otherwise. Um, the intersection of a lot of moving parts is where the edge comes from. And it's never, it's never exclusively the entry. In fact, in most cases, in our experience, the entry has very little to do with, with success. Um, so, uh, definitely the, definitely the risk overlay, um, how you bet and, uh, uh, really understanding the, the nature of the strategy, whether it's supposed to be a high win rate strategy or whether it's supposed to be a strategy that operates naturally at the center of the bell curve, um, you know, winning half the time, but gaining its edge from a, from a mathematical risk advantage, you know, betting a dollar, uh, and then, you know, when you win, you're making $2 or more, but when you lose, you're never losing more than a dollar. You know, you can be very, very successful winning 50% of the time. So, um, but you have to know, uh, you have to understand the strategy, understand it from a more visceral, uh, standpoint. Um, wh what, are, what are you trying to do? Is it the type of thing that you're going to win a lot of, or do you have to accept a lower win rate? And the truth is a lot of you know, retail traders, at least that we encounter, they just aren't willing to accept a lower win rate because it doesn't feed to the psychology. They don't want to experience any pain. That's why they keep looking for the one best entry that has a very linear uh, success rate, you know, wins 70, 80, 90% of the time. It never falters. It does the same thing all the time. It's very um, simplistic because it feeds that that part of the, the psychology that, that really needs that. You know, human beings are always uncomfortable with risk, um, you're supposed to be, uh, but it's really how you manage that. Um, it doesn't mean that that uh, the only way to be successful as a, tra as a trader is to have a, a high win rate, linear uh, performing strategy. In fact, the vast majority of strategies uh, aren't, and they never will be. And it's a, it's a it's a really a futile pursuit. Okay, Rob. So tell us about how this what do you call it, maybe the rabbit hole that you went down as you described it. How did this pave the way for you launching a quant research and development firm? Because I find it interesting that you went down the, what you called the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, it led to a failed attempt, but it actually also led you into, you know, starting a, a business out of it. So, right, right. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, probably, probably <laughs> the simplest answer is I didn't want to fail. Uh, I, I took it pretty hard that uh, I had spent all of this uh, effort and, and money uh, thinking that I could just lick this thing and we could do, you know, accomplish everything that we wanted to do with that scalability in that particular product. Um, and I just really wasn't willing to accept no for an answer. So I kind of had to go through all that to find out the, the best way is just to leave it alone and not, and not attempt to do that anymore. Uh, because what I thought would bear fruit wouldn't, and it didn't matter how many ways we, you know, we, we pounded the square peg into the round hole. We were never going to beat it into submission. Um, I think, um, you know, interestingly what happened was I kind of came full circle and went back to what I had told you earlier that I originally started thinking about, uh, when I first, uh, became exposed to, uh, you know, the, the early long, short trend followers, um, just in the sense that, uh, for no, nothing else strategically other than the fact that they were trading all of the markets long, short. And I started to think about, um, what, uh, the application of, uh, game theory principles would be, um, to that kind of thinking. And uh, that's what gave rise to the quant firm is developing a bunch of models that were uh, longer term in nature, uh, entirely non-predictive. The entry means absolutely nothing to the edge. All the edge comes 100% from the risk models. So, um, you know, volatility adaptive um, trades 20, 30, 40, 50 markets long, short, you know, average time in trade ranging from a few days to years. So, um, it was really just, you know, sheer, sheer, sheer will that, uh, that, uh, uh I, I wanted to end, end up with something that was successful and, and marketable. And thankfully, uh, we got there. So. Okay. That's really cool. That's really interesting as well. So, you know, that's obviously one side of your trading. There's also the other side of your trading today where you're still trading by hand. So, Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how are you personally trading on a day-to-day basis and how would you best describe your trading approach or, or methodology today? Right. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm what most people would call a pure scalper. Actually, you know, I like to call it low-frequency market making. Um, I, I typically trade for a tick at a time, um, buy bids and, and sell offers or, or vice versa. Uh, I do so exclusively uh, in United States Treasury futures, mostly the 10-year, in in certain market conditions, mostly fast market conditions. I like to trade the twos as well. And I also spread uh, basically one-year strips uh, in the 90-day LIBOR contracts, otherwise known as uh, Euro dollars. So um, that's that's pretty much it. I I know market making is kind of a a mystery, I guess, to a lot of people. But uh, uh, I'm really really classically reading order flow, both in the order book, uh, and the tape to, uh, identify, uh, temporary inefficiencies, really not, not based on anything quantitative at all, but rather psychologically based, um, where everybody traded, um, who's on the wrong side and, uh, when they take heat, how will they react that, obviously combined with, with a million little details like book position and whether there's a presence of other participants in the market and you know, whether the book's particularly thin or thick or 
icebergs present or, you know, it's a really specialized thing. So, um, but that's, you know, what I focus most of my time on in terms of short-term discretionary trading that, and, uh, I like to spread, um, uh, some of the commodity contracts, specifically uh, intermarket spreading. So I like to trade crack spreads and uh, spread the metals against each other, and those are typically like one to three day kind of time frames. But again, um, exploiting pure price inefficiency is not you know no indicators or um, you know directional cues or you know MACDs or you know any of that kind of stuff. Just just price and price action. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Okay, so you said something really interesting there that um, your strategy is kind of like a, a market-making strategy. Um, could you explain what, what that actually means to trade a market-making type of strategy? Well, it's obviously it's very, very short term. So it's, you know, I, I know we've had prior conversations about this, but I'm, I'm really set in my view that uh, I don't really believe in predicting the direction of a market beyond the next tick or two or, you know, I mean, I don't want to be really hard and steadfast about the one tick rule or whatever. But in general, uh, I it's just if you understand what a market is and you understand how it operates and you understand that it's just an auction, then you have to understand that the deck is constantly being reshuffled to use card parlance, right? Um, you know, uh, whatever your criteria is for entering a market, if you think it's a predictive criteria and it happens to work out that way, it, it just seems like you predicted it. So in other words, the, let's say you're a guy who likes to trade counter trends moves, counter trend moves and the market moves down real big off the open and it reaches some, you know, market structure and you say, well, I want to fade this level and you get in and then you're holding it for two hours, you know, trading it back into the center of the range. The notion that whatever you saw or whatever was going on at the moment that you entered the market several hours ago has anything to do with you crossing whatever this arbitrary price is that you'd like to, you know, scale your position out at or whatever um, is really absurd because uh, every tick, every second, uh, every market is constantly um, – you know, the net of its participants are, are evaluating and reevaluating. Perhaps news hits the wire and, um, you know, it makes somebody do something. And then because that somebody does something, other people see that little piece of price action and then they go, it makes them nervous about their position and then they do it. So it's really, you know, the butterfly flap and the wings effect, uh, you know, creates, uh, you know, snow halfway around the world kind of a thing. So um, I think, 
you know, this, I, I'm really just speaking to my own, uh, beliefs about markets, but there's, that's, that's basically the reason why I like to make markets. In other words, you know, step up and take the other side in what I think are advantageous positions. So you know, somebody wants to be a really aggressive seller in certain spots, I'm going to step up passively and suck up those shorts and say, give me all you got. Because what I'm hoping to happen is, you know, now that they realize maybe they do, maybe they don't, but if they realize that their short isn't going anywhere, they're going to start sweating and going, boy, I, this market had all this downside pressure and it doesn't seem to be wanting to go down anymore. What do I do? Maybe I should get out. And, you know, so I'm, I'm basically wanting to, you know, wanting to take the other side of aggression and when they, when they're uh, exhausted or, or nervous or tired or fearful, um, you know, I'm immediately exiting into, into their reaction. So that's, that's really what market making is about in general. Um, but, um, it speaks to how I feel about, um, the viability of, of prediction beyond the next tick, which is that I, I don't place much. I should add by the way, Aaron, that, uh, Doing doing so in the futures market as a mouse trader is still possible. Whether somebody can do it in the stock market is questionable because of uh, the presence of, you know, you have 13 competing exchanges, maybe 70, 80 dark pools now, um, and uh, the fastest participants, uh, you know, sucking all the edge out of the market via latency arbitrage. So, you know, in the futures markets, certainly the ones I trade at least, um, we, we have the ability to trade one product on one exchange. So I never have to wonder what the price of it is somewhere else. Um, so that's, that certainly needs to be punctuated. I'm not sure anybody can trade for ticks um, as a mouse trader uh, trading the spiders, for example. Maybe they can. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. It's beyond my experience. So I just thought I would... Uh, qualify that right yeah no and i imagine that's a that's a really good point that you added on there at the end so thanks for doing that um so so what factor does volume have within your trading strategy it's everything um not just total volume necessarily but whether the volume is predominantly aggressive to the bid side or the offer side um, and the cadence, as I call it, of that volume, whether it's coming in quickly or trickling in slowly, and how the market and, and the aggregate is reacting to it. And again, it all, it's all really just um, code, for lack of a better word, uh, or a window into psychology. Um, you know, how volume always precedes price, of course, and uh, uh what that volume is and, and where it comes from is is definitely definitely uh, rooted in fear and greed. So uh, obviously, whether the volume is is large traders or or small traders or whether it's machines uh, top you know top of the book market makers as we call them, um, they all all play a role. So in in, uh, in in finding those those edges inefficiencies. Okay, great answer. Well, Rob, I'd like to zoom in a little more now to actually the subject of risk management. So let's dig into that. One of the things you said a little earlier was that entry is the least important thing for most people. And another thing you've said to me in prior conversations is it's the bankroll and risk management that truly matters. So could you just spend a few minutes to help us understand why this may be the case? I think, you know, 
we would probably go back to the core philosophies that I talked about earlier. And if we, if we use a casino as an example, you know, um, we, we embrace the idea of gambling. Uh, it's a dirty word to so many people and in certain aspects of the industry, it's, it's a really dirty word. Uh, nobody wants to, to accept that, that when you're taking risk of any kind that you're, that you're playing a game of chance. Um, you know, so a lot of the work that, that we've done in, in quant research has, has been aimed at treating markets as if they're random. They're absolutely not random at all. There's nothing random about markets, but very interesting things uh, can be discovered if you start, uh, you don't have to you know, study them to the depth that we have, but if you start thinking about markets uh, as if they're random, it can pave the way to kind of understanding how uh, edge can be created through risk models. So um, if you think about a casino and you think about a typical casino, they have a whole bunch of different games with the table games and they have slots and they have various betting limits across those games. And these are all games of chance. And, and I always say the word, you know, I always bring up this analogy for gambling because I think it's really important. You know, if you knock on 100 doors in your neighborhood and you say, hey, I'm doing a survey, what do you think about gambling? You know, a very large percentage of those people are going to say, oh, gambling, oh, gambling, you know, it's, it's a CD, you know, it's CD, or, you know, they conjure up the image of this, you know, this guy down on his luck that, you know, was, you know, betted on black and was stuck in Vegas and can't get home and he's, lead, you know, living in a CD hotel or whatever. And, uh, but if you go back the next day and you knock on the same doors and you say, uh, sorry, you know, I'm back again for another survey, uh, how would you like to own a casino? Now all of a sudden, you know, everybody says, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, it would be fun on some level, at least if you could say to them, well, what's the difference? I mean, do you think that the casino isn't gambling with the player on every hand that they play or on every pull of the slot? Um, again, you know, what we're talking about here is, is, is edge. You know, we're talking about mathematical edge. Uh, casinos lose all the time. Um, in, in various pits and in various games and you know, guys come in and they catch a run of cards and they beat them for a hundred thousand, 200,000, a million, two million happens all the time. But they know that over time that because of the edge that they've built into the game, in the case of the casino, it's actually the structure of the games to a lesser extent, the betting structures, some of the betting structures benefit the players and so on. But at the end of the day, what they're really doing is grinding out a risk model. So a casino never has a meeting after a shift and goes, Hey, listen, blackjack dealers, we got to do something about these hands. I mean, you guys are losing way too many hands. I mean, what, what would the blackjack dealers say if their boss said they're like, what are you talking about? How can I control what hand comes out of the deck? So when we talk about, you know, entries being the least important, at least, you know, um, uh, in the context of this conversation, that's what we're talking about. Um, uh, you know, you don't, your entry doesn't really necessarily have to mean anything. There's other caveats. I mean, you certainly, you have to be diverse enough. You have to, you know, uh, there, there's other components to it. I don't, you know, it's not realistically necessarily to, to trade, you know, a, a single market, for example, intraday with very few occurrences um, and expect to replicate an edge entirely from the risk model. Um, you need to, you know, have enough events. Obviously, you know, the casino deals a lot of hands and so on and so forth. So all of those things matter. But that's really what we're talking about when we talk about um, 
uh, math advantage risk management, um, you know, having the ability in a market uh, is unique to set your own payout odds. You know, nobody, no casino lets you walk up, you know, to a blackjack table and say, hey, you know, I'd love to play this game and I'm, I'm totally comfortable with your, you know, with your uh, 1% or less house edge or, or whatever it is, you know, based on the structure of that particular game. But here's the deal. You know, you don't even have to give me three to two in blackjack. Just any hand I win, you give me two chips, and every any time I lose, I'll give you one chip. Well, of course, no floor no floor man's ever going to give you those odds because they can't win, right? Um, that's what I'm talking about. When in a market, nobody says to you that nobody tells you how to create your betting structures. So you know, you if you want to you want to risk three points. Uh, for you know to your stop on some trade that you make and every time you get out you start to get nervous and you take a one point win well your your risk math is inverted as we call it so you know you get a couple a couple losses for three handles a piece you know you're going to have a lot of one point wins that you're going to have to crawl back from in order to do that but um it's your choice in other words you can you can say oh i don't care if i have a 20% win rate a 15% win rate whatever i'm going to bet a dollar and i'm not going to get out or accept a win until i've made you know 8 to 1 on my money or whatever the number is um, you're probably not going to like it psychologically but it doesn't mean for a second that that's not the best application that's going to make you the most money typically what makes you feel the best as a discretionary trader is never what's going to get you the money it's always, you know, we always say, you know, being, being, being a trader in general, especially being a discretionary trader, is, is about managing discomfort. And it never gets any easier. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and um, I'm never comfortable about being in a trade. I'm never like, oh, I got this licked. I'm going to win this. You know, uh, I got this. Uh, I'm always nervous. I'm always skeptical. I'm always... Uh, thinking I'm, I'm early or I'm late or I'm not making the right decision. You know, it's just something that you have to settle in with and, and realize and make sure that it's not influencing, um, you know, how you should react um, and how you should manage your, your position or put on a position at all. So um, that's really what we're talking about when we talk about the importance of that stuff. But if you're, if you're focused on you know, when this indicator lines up with this and that's, that's where you think you're going to, you're going to make your money. It's, it's, it's not. And, and even if it is temporarily, it's, if that kind of inefficiency exists in the market, it won't for long. So the market will eventually find, find it and it will, will render it uh, obsolete. So, you know, you, you really have to be focused on how to manage your money uh, you know, not only how to, how to risk manage each individual trade, but how to not, you know, it's not going to be linear. You're going to have to adapt to changes, you know, in volatility or even how the markets change and the way they move and cadence as we call it. And, um, it's just, it's just something that you have to do. And most people that fall into that retail trap, they don't, they don't want it to be adaptable. They don't want it. They, they want the easy route. What's red light, green light. This lines up with this. This does this. I get long. I go to the beach, you know, and a year from now I'm just printing money. I mean, that's the dream that a lot of people get sucked into. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but there is just no light at the end of that tunnel. Well, actually there is, and it's the front of a train. Um, but that's really the truth. So, I mean, in some ways, you, you view markets in a very mathematical 
way, especially when it comes to finding an edge and defining a risk model. I mean, what's your mathematical background like? How advanced is your knowledge on math? I'm I'm not a, a I'm not a math genius at all. I'm not. <laughs> hopefully, by somebody listening to me talk, he figured out that I'm not Goodwill Hunting or uh, or some <laughs> brainiac from MIT. I'm just a I'm just a street street level gambler, basically with uh, with an appetite for for risk and. Uh, uh, enough experience to, you know, school of hard knocks to know, uh, to know what, what works and what doesn't work, you know, uh, you know, a playbook from my own bad beats, so to speak. So, <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, honestly, Aaron, the, the risk math that we use in our firm is absolutely elementary. There's nothing, uh, interesting about it in the least way. It demonstrates fully the simplicity of everything that we've talked about here in the last few minutes. Um, um, you know, very, very simplistic application of payout odds, um, and, uh, simplistic, uh, adaptation to volatility, um, gaining benefit of, uh, strategy based non-correlation. Most people talk about non-correlation and they think they're talking about, uh, markets, um, which, Oftentimes, markets are very tightly correlated or inversely correlated, meaning that you get no benefit um, from from thinking about them as if you're getting non-correlative benefits. So, strategy and periodicity-based uh, non-correlation is a big uh, thing of ours, very purposefully, and uh, exploiting. Um, and again, and this is where we, we make the distinction between what it is to be a successful scalper or market maker. And, and what it is to be a, a successful longer-term trader, in our mind, um, those lines of division are, are pretty clear. You know, market making is about identifying an inefficiency and winning very often. You know, having a very high win rate, you, you, might, you have to risk a little bit more than what you're typically going to get uh, when you win. So you have to have a high win rate, but it is a predictive strategy preying on inefficiency and psychology. So you're able to do that. And this is what I was trying to allude to earlier about understanding what your strategy is and what it wants to be. And don't try to put a square peg in a round hole. You shouldn't try to be a market maker. When I say this, I'm qualified by saying you shouldn't try to be a mouse trading market maker competing against the machines trying to win 50%, 40, 50% of your trades at two to one on your money because you'll, you'll go broke. You'll never be able to compete uh, at that level in the top of the book trading for ticks. You know, uh, most of the order flow in the markets, uh, you know, in, in our markets and the futures markets here, um, uh, it's, it's all top of book market making flow. Uh, in other words, um, they are... Uh, Basically, you know, I'm talking about the citadels, the jumps, you know, uh, the geckos of the world that have paid a lot of money for um, uh, speed efficiency uh, and um, have a lot of risk capital to be able to occupy a lot of positions on the order book very, very early. So a lot of parked orders and be able to make very quick decisions on whether to keep or fold those positions. Um faster than you can blink by a long shot. So um, it's a different game where, uh, you know, somebody like that who is, you know, a high frequency market maker 
really wants to, they're happy if they win 50% of their trades in a day because the ones that they lose, they're scratching, you know, so they're paying nine cents to trade or whatever. Uh, and you know, when they lose, they lose nine cents. When they win, they win 15, 62, 50. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out if you even had a, a, a 30% win rate or a 40% win rate. And when you won, you won $15. And when you lose, you lose pennies. Um, that's, that's a very viable model, but it's not a realistic model for a mouse trader. So, um, not only from the trade cost perspective, but also just being able to be that quick and efficient in the book and get those exit prices that you want. So, you know, conversely, you go to the other side of the fence and what, what's a longer term strategy, you know, where can it live? It can absolutely live in that space where, how can you be predictive if you're going to be in, you know, again, what we talked about earlier, if you're going to be in a trade for months at a time, again, how you got into the trade or whatever your criteria was for segmenting the market into trade events, as we call it, um, you know, what, what does it have to do with anything? You know, eight months from now, this model says you get out here and you book your profit. So, you know, it's very, it's a very viable application of what we call a, a mathematically risk advantage strategy to say, okay, I've got all of these occurrences. I've got a bunch of occurrences and I'm going to keep my bet size, uh, low, you know, to, you know, or my, you know, to my risk point, And I'm going to make sure my, my average winners are, are, you know, at least significant on some level, significantly bigger than, uh, than a typical average loss. And so you're grinding it out. You know, you're trading a lot of positions, long, short, and a lot of markets and, and you're actually gaining the edge from that, from that risk model. And this is very common. I mean, you know, we like to say we, in, in the quant world, we definitely haven't reinvented any wheels. We just think ours are sporty or maybe than some of the other ones that are out there, but this is all standard stuff. I mean, there's nothing really remotely, uh, uh, cutting edge strategically um about about what we're doing you know the nuts and bolts of the trading it's really very very boring you know simple simple application of of uh of uh standard deviation you know statistics game theory you know very on a very rudimentary level so um but the worlds they you know i think it's important to punctuate again that those worlds are very very different um, and there's a big difference in, in, uh, in, in how to apply those principles to a, you know, a single market discretionary strategy, which is what a lot of day traders or very short term traders are applying to undertaking something like, you know, a, a strategy or multiple strategies that are, you know, trading, you know, 50 markets with 12 models long short. So you, you literally have, you know, hundreds of intersecting strategies and, and, uh, that are keying on different things and gaining edge from different places. It just isn't practical to, to, uh, to trade, let alone, uh, take the time to, and the, and the financial resources to develop, you know, for the average trader, probably that's listening, that's an aspiring trader. So you gotta, you gotta go with what's realistic, you know, for what you're, what you actually can do and really give some thought to that. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Rob. Well, let's uh, let's just round this off um, on the on the subject of risk management here. So, is there anything anything in particular that you've noticed amongst um, traders on a retail level that they often don't think about or consider when it comes to risk? And I guess lastly, why do they have a tough time being profitable? I think a, a lot of a lot of people think that risk 
is they say, well, I manage my risk. I use a stop loss on every trade. Uh, that's a, that's a common one. Um, you know, we, we think of stops as placeholders, you know, for the most part, uh, as a way to sort of define, you know, your, your max risk on a trade, but it really, you know, that alone isn't really a risk model. I mean, when we think about risk models, you definitely have to have those components of, you know, uh, striving to, to, uh, to really understand what your typical average win is and what your average loss is. And these are very complex issues because some people trade all in all out strategies. Some people scale out only, but not in some people scale in, but not out. Some people scale in and out. Um, uh, and depending on what the strategy is, all of these things can be different, but that's definitely a component that you have to understand. And you have to understand that that is part of the risk model and not just using a stop on every trade. The stop to us just defines, your your uh, you know placeholder or 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 theoretical percentage risk on a trade. So in other words, you use it as a, a divisor to create your trade size. So you know if somebody trades, I don't know, you know they're trading one they're trading one contract in the ES for example, and uh, their maximum stop that they ever use is is three three handles, right? So it's fifty bucks a handle in the ES, so it's one hundred and fifty dollars. Well then. You want to divide that $150 into your equity in the account and understand what it is on a percentage basis. So if you lose that trade, what percentage of your equity are you going to lose? And then the, the so now you understand. So let's say it's 1%. So you're risking 1% of your equity theoretically to your stop point in every trade. Well, is that enough? Well, I don't know. How many occurrences are you going to have? How, how frequent do you trade? Are you trading eight times a day? You're trading once a day? Or, you know, how, how many over the course of a month, how many events or occurrences do you have and how does that play into it? Well, now let's go to the win side of the equation. Are you scaling out? Are you not scaling out? How far, you know, all of those things come into play. So you start to create this construct of kind of understanding that you're trading. So if you're, in other words, if you're sort of developing a risk model that's based on having a typical maybe one, two, three events max per day trading this one market, well, you can't just all of a sudden start trading 20 times a day and think that it's not impacting it. And it's, well, it's okay. I got my stops in place, right? <laughs> you know, all of that stuff really matters. And, and I think the other thing that we see is, again, this goes back to the psychology and the trying to mitigate pain, which is very common uh, amongst humans in general. Uh, but trying to too hard to achieve a linear, a linear result or... Um, of try or, or better yet, evaluating their prowess as a trader or the effectiveness of their strategy solely on its linear ability, you know, to produce results. In other words, they go, well, if I'm if I'm winning three trades, every every four trades I win three. Well, on every single series of four trades, I want to have three wins and one loss. So it's like win, 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 loss, win, win, win. And I mean, I'm not even joking. People really you know, whether consciously or subconsciously have stuff like that in their minds. And you have to accept things like, um, uh, you know, starting to stop overanalyzing every individual trade. Cause again, like I say, the decks being reshuffled, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It only seems like it does. And any one event, any one trade, what's happening with that trade really has nothing to do with anything. So you want to stop analyzing. Well, if I lost this trade, it must mean that I made a mistake. And if I win this trade, it must mean that I'm pretty smart, right? Unfortunately, a lot of people think that way. 
Um, and, and the truth is, is neither is true. It's just you win some and you lose some when you're a trader. You have to become uh, very, very comfortable with that and uh, uh, grinding it out, as we say. So we, we tell people, start thinking about blocks of trades. I mean, we, we say for a typical day trader, you shouldn't be analyzing anything statistically or evaluating your risk model until you've got a month's worth of trades. Um, you know, because the idea of, of it's whatever happened today, you had three trades and you lost them all. Oh my God, back to the drawing board. You know, I got to change my model. This is, I can't believe I like, I got fully stopped out on three in a row. This model's broken. Well, you don't know that. It's just, you know, it's really inconsequential. But, uh, so it just, these things are what feeds the back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board, back to, and they keep going back to drink from a well that doesn't have any water in it. You know, and then eventually they lose interest. I mean, the typical we, we've heard from some of our clearing firm relationships that right now the typical average retail account attrition is inside of three months. So the average person that gets interested in enough interested enough in active trading to open an account doesn't last three months. So that doesn't mean they all blow up their accounts. It just means that for whatever reason, and a big number of them from from the people that we've experienced and, and interacted with from that world are are definitely ending up at, in that in that line of failures not because they blew their account out or because they don't have what it takes to be a trader it's because you know they're focusing on entries hyper analyzing each individual trade you know using that as ammo to quantify success or failure go back to the well try to create a new model rinse repeat rinse repeat rinse repeat so that's it. I mean, in a nutshell, it's not, most of them never even get to the point of where we could have a discussion about what's wrong with their risk model or how to develop it better because they're stopped in their tracks at that. Okay. Okay. Awesome answer, Rob. That was a ton of insight there. Thanks so much. It's pain. It's pain. Trading is pain. You've got to get used to losing and not thinking that it means you're making a mistake. That's the biggest takeaway I can give. No doubt, no doubt. Solid advice. Well, one of the one of the last things I'd like to ask you about is um, Discovery Trading Group. Um, I know this has been a, a big part of you know your day to day interaction with the market. Now, um, give us a bit of an overview of what is Discovery Trading Group and how it's helped you. I guess. Yeah, um, Discovery Trading Group is a happy accident. It's really was an interesting confluence of events of how it came about, and it's kind of an interesting story. Some of us in our group are geographically dispersed, and uh, of course, which is commonplace these days. And like many people, we communicated via the web, sharing ideas not only related to the quant firm, but also intraday trading. And so we had these blog spaces that we used privately, and uh, one of our software providers had a lot of videos that had sort of explained, you know, all the features of the software, but he said, you know, you guys are, you guys are hardcore you know, order flow scalpers, you know, maybe be cool if we did an event where you actually showed the application of these order flow tools sort of nestled into what, what would be the shell of a real trading strategy. So we did, I did a series of three webinars for uh, market Delta. That's the charting platform. And Trevor and I go way back the owner Anyway, it was like a hit, you know, for whatever reason, specifically the third installment, which is the really nitty gritty order flow stuff. 
it was just unexpected. We just had a deluge of people emailing us and asking us additional questions. So we actually opened up an area of this, uh, you know, one of the blog spaces that we had. We gave it a name, which again was totally arbitrary. It's not the name of a company or anything. Um, and uh, we started interacting with other retail traders that were asking us specifically about trading price action and order flow, you know, related to our, our short term intraday stuff that we do. Um, the interesting thing happened, I th- you know, at first I got really overwhelmed. I said, I don't know if we want to do this. This is crazy. I, you know, we never set out to be trading educators or, you know, we never sold a course or, you know, did any of that usual stuff. We were just rapping with people, sharing our, you know, the same plan sheets that we were trading every day and, uh, um, you know, our levels and, and such and, and you know, uh, different trades that we, we took during the day. And uh, it was just very, very low key and very simple. And, um but an interesting thing happened, and that's that uh, I found specifically, and I know you know my partner NJ did too, that as the time went by, it beca- it started to shift from being like a burden where oh we're getting all these emails and people are asking questions and maybe we shouldn't have done this to man w- we feel sharper than ever and we're trading better than ever and what we found was that just the act of interacting with somebody who asks a question about something or, um, or you're talking about a trade that, that you took or, or, or whatever, it has this uncanny ability to keep you sharp. And as you're saying it or speaking or you're typing something, you're doing that, it sort of points things out to yourself that you weren't thinking of or different. It sort of accesses different areas of your mind and, and keeps you sharp. So, um, we, uh, it's something that we're, we're really proud of. It's a, uh, you know, obviously we still do the daily plan sheets for the ES every day. Uh, I don't trade the ES anymore, but my partner does. I'm, I'm just in the interest rates, but, uh, um, traders, you know, futures traders from all, all walks of life, uh, trading, you know, everything from, from the indices to, to, uh, currencies, to, uh, the interest rates to, you know, grains even and energy. And so we've, we've had, uh, we've kind of had the gamut. I think, you know, what, I, what I, I would like to see more out of people is I wish that I could impress upon people more the benefit that I've had from it in terms of just the act of forcing yourself to interact because not everybody wants to do it. You know, ever since the beginning, a, a very large percentage – often a majority percentage, they just want to get the materials. They just want to get the the levels so they know, you know, where the cool spots to trade are or whatever, or they want to, you know, maybe see some of the, uh, the example trades or some of the annotations and stuff at the end, or they just want to get, we have a methodology kind of white paper that's on there for, you know, that's been there for the members. And some people just join to get that. And we always say like, you're missing the point because I'm telling you, and I'm not exaggerating one bit that every single person that has uh, joined the site and has gone through the member journaling process where we give everybody a journal space and we say, just get in here and start running your mouth. 
anything that comes to mind. This is how I'm trading. This is what I'm thinking about for my risk model. I changed this. I changed that. I'm looking at this. And, you know, just soliciting feedback and interaction, not just from the partners, but the other members who many of which are very sophisticated traders and, and, and very successful traders in the industry. Um, just the act of doing that, we have watched every one of them have a light bulb go off. And at this point, it's six years now into Discovery Trading Group. And I can honestly say that in the tenure of, of the, uh, of that, of that, uh, you know, the member forums, um, every single success story, uh, of the rockstar traders today, uh, all without fail were very active, uh, uh, in that process. And they didn't just show up and get the, you know, another, just like you can tell like the method hunters. Oh, great. You know, this is like floor trading, you know, applied to the screen and they, they, you know, something, something pretty in a chart or something catches their attention and they go, oh, I got to figure out what this method is. And then they join, they leave and, you know, say la vie. But, you know, the ones that really hang around and work it and realize trading isn't about learning a method and okay, I'm in school now I'm learning a method. And a month later I'm a pro and then I go make money. It's like name any other profession that that you are going to be a champion at. I mean, trading is the hardest thing in the world to do. It's why it's the best paying job in the world. Um, you know, the cream rises to the top. You, you're not just going to learn a method and be a rock star and you've got to put the time in. And if you're going to put the time in, I'm telling you that if you interact with people, not just with us, I don't care who you are, you got to interact. Um, it's going to make you or break you. And this used to be commonplace. I mean, that's, you know, Every, you know, back in the heyday of the pits we talked about, everybody was on the floor or, you know, in the heyday of the prop desk when all, you know, prop, you know, all the proprietary trading operations, you had, you know, a hundred guys in a room and everybody's interacting and talking about what they see and what the markets. And we've lost a lot of that in this uh, electronic uh, trading revolution. And another friend of mine says, don't trade in a closet. That's his saying. But you know, it, it really can be damaging. I mean, you just don't want to be alone with your charts because, you know, you need somebody to talk you out of being an idiot. We, I do. I mean, everybody does. It doesn't, doesn't matter how long you've been doing this. Um, it, it's a full contact sport and it's a team sport. Or I, I think best played as a team sport where, you know, you, I talk about the markets all day, every day, and I'm not just talking about the blog. I'm talking, and not, I'm not just talking about intraday, you know, order flow trading either. I'm talking about other strategies, everything. I talk to 50 people on a daily basis, um, and it, it a, a big part of my success is, is attributed to that. And uh, but a lot of people, they just don't want to interact. They just want to get a method and clam up. And uh, it's just, it's important for me to punctuate to your audience that. You know, whether it's, you know, at DTG or, or somewhere else, I'm here to tell you, uh, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's just the, those who interact and communicate, they're, all of them are at, at least a profitable trader now. And some of them are, are absolute rock stars and hold very big positions in the industry. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how to argue with that statistically. Um, and I know that even for myself, uh, that's been the case. I, you know, DTG, uh, I guess it's been, I guess it's been six years now that we opened it up and started interacting with somebody other than ourselves. And I can honestly say I'm, I'm, I'm five times the tr discretionary trader that I was then. 
Um, and, and by the numbers too, I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, definitely evaluating my performance. So, um, uh, it's, it's, it's really something I speak uh, very highly of the uh, power of that process. So, so that's what DTG is. It's, a uh, we, uh, one of our past members called it an elite dojo. I always thought dojo was kind of a cool term for it, but it's really just a community of hardcore market structure, price action, and order flow traders, people who trade pure price, uh, you know, and volume, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, in, in the futures markets predominantly, although we do have some equities traders too, um, we trade longer term strategies who also benefit from the communicative part of the journaling process, but we're all just interacting and, and, and talking about, uh, things relevant to those types of strategies. Sure. Sure. Okay. Now that's very cool, Rob. Um, and I like your, your push there for, you know, uh, members to, or just people in general to get involved in, and interact, I mean, and sort of become contributors instead of just consumers. So I like that. Yeah. Even if it's just you and four of your buddies on a, you know, an instant message service or, you know, some kind of a, you know, AOL instant messenger or whatever, you know, whatever Skype or, you know, any, anything like that, whatever you want to do, but it's just the process of, um, you know, being in a position where you actually have to, uh, put something on the line and say, I'm looking at this, this is what I think. And, and knowing that the other person might come back and say, Oh, are you nuts? Why would you do that? You know, and being able to sort of take that constructive criticism or have that spawn a, a further conversation where now, because you said that the other guy says something, which then you go, wow, I never heard that before. What, where'd you get that? And then he says something else. And the next thing, you know, you're improving your trading in some way. So it's, you know, it's definitely an amazing, uh, amazing thing how that works. And it's, uh, I think it's kind of, it's solidified. It's sort of brought the, tr- the community aspect of trading back. It's like, we've had a few dark years where, you know, we went from, uh, you know, the pits and prop desks and then electronic trading came, you know, fully into the forefront and everybody said, great, I can trade for my house. So they all left and they went home and now, you know, then they were home for a while. And now it's like this, this concept of the community has really come back, not just with us, but you know, there's other, other people who are, are beating that drum too. So, uh, it's, um, it's been cool to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Rob, well, where can listeners go to find out more about you and also DTG? Yeah, uh, it's discoverytradinggroup.com. And uh, I think our Twitter is uh, at discoverytrader. We're not the biggest uh, tweeters or, you know, this isn't what we do. You know, we're not, we're not trading educators. Uh, we're, we're, we're traders and, and uh, quant developers. So, um, but uh, we are... Uh, works you know you could find us awesome all right rob well i really appreciate you taking the time to to do this interview it's been awesome to have you on um and yeah once again thank you very much thanks for having me Aaron. appreciate it hey what's up guys i just wanted to pop up again at the end of this episode uh just to remind you about the couple things i mentioned at the very beginning now i know that was what like 60 minutes ago so chances are it may have slipped your mind and if it has that's totally fine. So here we go. First thing is the Facebook group. Now I've opened a Facebook group for chat with traders. So there's listeners of the podcast in there, there's other traders and some really decent traders knocking about in there. Um, I will point that out, that's for sure. Um, 
So it's a great place to connect with others, to ask questions, to meet other traders, uh, even other traders who are trading a similar style to you or similar markets. Um, great way to get some feedback or some help if you need it. So I really do encourage you to get involved with that. To do so, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash Facebook. Um, that'll redirect you directly to the group on Facebook. Just hit the join button when you get there and I'll of course let you in. So again, that's chatwithtraders.com forward slash Facebook to join the Facebook group and it's completely free. Also, the second thing I wanted to remind you of was the ebook which I've just released. So the ebook is titled The Comprehensive Guide to Trading Mentorship. And in summary, that ebook explains everything you need to know about how to get a trading mentor. And I just want to be very clear. When I say a trading mentor, I'm not talking about uh, you know how to choose the right service or educator or coach or anything like that. I'm talking about genuine mentoring because I think it's so important for a trader's development. So make sure you check that out. That's at, uh, what is it? Chatwithtraders.com forward slash mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R. And yeah, if you follow the link, you can grab a free copy of that ebook. It'll probably take you about 10 to 15 minutes to read. It's quite compact, but it's also very thorough. And I think you'll get a lot out of it, especially if you are looking for a mentor yourself. So anyway, guys, check it out and make sure to tell me what you think of it. I'd love your feedback and I hope to see you in the Facebook group. So that's all from me for now. Over and out, I'm Aaron Firefield. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.